Hello, everyone. How you doing? Welcome back to another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. I am here with the awesome Scott. And Scott, I, I, I just, I was going to dive into this. I was trying to figure out something really clever around the idea of prototyping and iterating to be jump in here. And uh, nothing just came to mind. I think it's because of my, it's, it's my excitement and uh, a twofold. And here I am already rambling on before you even get a chance to introduce yourself. But like I'm, I'm holding this book, which nobody can see. And we are in the middle of a currently a pretty large project that I'm doing with 25 classrooms. And we are like trying to uh, work through the murkiness of prototyping. And so the book has been perfect release time date wise. And it's really <laughs> caused me to rethink a lot about my own concepts around prototyping in all good ways. But uh, let's maybe let me hit pause here. Clearly, I've had a lot of coffee today. Scott, who are you? What do you do? And what in the world do you got going on? <laughs> well, it's great to be here. My name is Scott Whithoft. And on any given day, I'm doing <laughs> probably one of maybe three things or four things. But uh, um, I often am teaching design and design concepts um, from product design to design thinking. Uh, lately, I've been uh, teaching courses in prototyping and space or environments prototyping as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I have taught at, uh, the university of Texas at Austin, uh, Stanford university, uh, as well as what's been a cool run of, um, programs at various universities in and around Tokyo, uh, which has mm -hmm. been a really cool, um, uh, opportunity again for the past, I don't know, probably 10 years now. Oh, wow. Um, so teaching design and then, uh, also doing design. So I, I, um, I'm a product designer and a, a design strategist. Uh, most of that work usually revolves around uh, space design or uh, aspects of environments design for uh, a range of organizations from schools, uh, you know, K through 12 up to higher ed kind of thing uh, to startups and, and well-established sort of large uh, businesses that are, that are trying to, um, maybe introduce themes of collaboration or creative creativity or innovation in existing mm, physical workspaces and then sort of cultural workspaces. So sure. sometimes it's about uh, like culture shift or designing for culture shift uh, as well as like what kind of tables should we have? <laughs> so yeah, right, so it's a, right. a range from sort of a, I guess, people to products. Um, so yeah, probably that, that sums it up a little bit, I guess. Yeah. Just a little bit going on. Yeah. And and for those that can't see the the screen, the book that I was holding up is called, it's his latest book called This is a Prototype. And it's part of a series through the Stanford D School. Um, and they are, it's a phenomenal set of books. Um, and what I love about them is you can almost just kind of open up to any page and process and learn or read it through like I have. And it's just very practical stuff to get you going, not just like the theory behind all the things, but actually stuff to go forth and do. And I, I I want to ask some specific questions about it, but before we do, my my latest kick has been like coming to this understanding that in education, and really probably just 
in general, just in life in general, we use a lot of words. And I think like we have like a kind of a collective understanding of what the words mean. And then we assume that other people understand it as well. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it'd be interesting just to to start at a, a base foundation to kind of paint a canvas for the listeners today is like when we say the word or when you say the word or write the word or teach the word prototype, what what is a prototype? Um in, in, in that sense, maybe we could start there and kind of build this conversation up that way, because it's, as I said, I feel it's a word, everybody uses it, but do we kind of all have the same understanding of, of, of what it is? That's such a cool question uh, and a cool consideration too, that that the same word, literally the same word, might mean something totally different to an individual and even an individual in an organization. So, you know, mm. I might be working within a, a company or a school or even just a department or colleagues, you know, peers. And we might be in a, you know, as you pointed out, like a phase of prototyping. You got some prototyping, big prototyping project projects going on. Like, okay, great. We're all in that. Mm, but actually each of us individually might have like quite a different understanding of what that means. And, and even sort of how you show up on a daily basis, like, oh, we're about to go do something. Cool. What What are you ready to do? Uh, you know, what? How are you preparing yourself? How are you showing up? Um, so, in one way, I, I was. I know there's been a, a like a perennial interest in a uh, observation, of like hmm, that. It does mean so. I've noticed it does mean something to different people at different times and different yeah. organizations. And I wonder if there's something to that. Um, and then I was I was struck by how students, particularly students, design students, um, I'm speaking now mostly of undergraduate students, but students who are getting familiar with considering themselves designers and um, design doers and design thinkers, um, what they consider a prototype to be or, or what they they have heard about it or what they know. And something that really... Um, commonly happens is there's there's a tension between like a, a prototype as a question and a prototype as a statement mm-hmm. or a, like a declaration. And I I think there is um which is debatable, but I think there's a there's an opportunity to consider a prototype or or a phase of work called prototyping to be rooted in curiosity. Um and a, a phase that you can practice and develop and explore where you are actively focusing on your curiosity or what you're learning in that in that stretch as opposed to that stretch being like a proxy for being right like there's a there's a oh i might make a prototype right so i, I you know I pick something up i've got it in my hand and and implicitly there is almost like a like a gamble or a like a lottery like i i'm holding in my hand right now the answer i got it right and when i prototype meaning when i show this to someone else and say hey here's a prototype i made and their reaction is oh that's amazing that's fantastic i love it it works or or maybe even oh it doesn't work okay great change this and then it'll be right there's we've just sort of pole vaulted past like the what what do I need to learn? Let's say this is right, so to speak. What do I need to learn to understand why it was right? Or what made it right? How did someone interpret it? Um, what did it mean to them? Mm. 
I think there's a, uh, this isn't to say that people don't do that, but very often it gets compressed. And sometimes that, that phase of discovery, that phase of curiosity, that phase of understanding gets squished, uh, for lots of maybe external reasons, like, uh, professionally you're hired to design something, uh, being like, I don't know, you're, you're a world famous box builder. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're on contract to like make boxes. So someone who's paying you or someone who's saying like, good job, you're showing up to them with the best box, you know, you, you, you can come up with. It's like, here, you see the final thing. You don't see the sort of in between noodling or the early version, so to speak. Um, that might be for you to do by yourself. And as a result, people get accustomed to connecting correctness with the sort of praise phase where you say like, I made that thing right. Uh, I'm getting celebrated because it's correct. And now I'm done. Mm. And, and I don't know that payoff seems to can like squelch or like, uh, let's say de-incentivize particularly students to get accustomed to getting curious and, and staying with the like, Oh, what am I learning? That's really important. It might not like the objective here might not be the, I don't know, a thing or a widget or an, a particular answer. It's more about, whoa, I'm really awesome at asking questions. I am fantastic at making things and understanding from them, whether those things are intended to be, you know, like products or outcomes or not. I'm amazing at creating experiences that I can learn through and from. That's something that, that doesn't often get Hmm. acknowledged, I think quite as much when we, particularly when we think about products or physical answers and solutions. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's a long meandering way of, I, I think there's this tension between sort of declaration and inquiry and, uh, the, at least with this latest content, I was trying to focus on and at least spotlight a little bit. Oh, how can we focus more on the, the inquiry part? How can we focus more on celebrating and and advancing your curiosity as a skill or as a, a credential. Yeah, I love that. There's, gosh, there's so many great things in there. You said that we could go on for hours with all the stuff that I'd like to just rack your brain with on. You were talking about that, and it makes me think about one of the things with with some of the projects or experiences we're trying to create with some of the phenomenal educators and in, in classrooms is trying to deliberately ensure that we're leaving space and by space, not just physical space, but the mental emotional space in mm -hmm. a school day for kids to, to have the opportunity to kind of sit or I always like to say to marinate in that, just like you said, that kind of inquiry prototyping making phase where, you know, so often in, in a K-12 setting anyways, we would study and get all the facts or we'd be told what to have. And we would do all that first. And then we maybe make something kind of, I always call it like like the the, the brownie uh, box effect where everyone gets the same square slice of brownie, versus like that that product that making that that testing out the ideas along the way, which then reverts like the learning to a deeper level as a as a as a byproduct of the kids are passionate about seeing an idea come to life that they chose. Doesn't mean it doesn't have to be a free for all. There, there's always creative constraints, um, and so as you were talking about that, it makes me think a lot of um, one of the, the the initial phases of prototyping. I don't know if it's an official phase or not. Is I always see where kids really struggle, um, and I I always call it the muckety muck. But it's like 
they're excited. They have their ideas. They've done some some research. They think they got the answer, right? Like they're excited and, and they they don't they think it's the solution. It's perfect. We then have them go and this is where at the time of this recording, they're going to be moving into next week. They're going to sketch their ideas out so we can understand what's going on in their brain for their group and make sure. And then we give them some just basic material and say, now go make it. And by materials, it could be tangible, you know, popsicle sticks and that. It could be also digital if it's an app or whatever. Like, oh, let's go make. And it is so hard <laughs> to take an, a, an idea that's 2D and make it 3D to bring it out to the world. And there's this this piece here that if they can kind of hold on through that and and still be excited, man, watch out. The world is going to be on fire. But man, they can also create some so a, a lot of tension too, especially if they're brand new to that. So I'm curious, you know, as you're working through prototype or you're through your courses or working with people too, you know, do, do you see that similar type of it's not really a friction, it's just the the part of the the, the iteration of enhancing our prototyping or enhancing our ideas, or do you see it in, in, in other places as well? I mean, it's not the only place, but that just seems to be the one, the first pit stop of, of the learning journey where we go. <laughs> and I think that's where we, like you said earlier, where we start to figure out what it, what are we good at? Am I the one that's good with my hands? Am I the one that's good at, at, at seeing the big picture? Am I the one that's kind of a little good in, in all the things, or maybe I've got a really great skill here or speaking or whatever it might be. So um, I'm talking too much. I want to hear more from you, but I'm just curious where, where, where your head goes in this. I'm still, I'm loving the visual of the first pit stop on the process. That's great. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm also resonating deeply with the, the uh, a phrase that you brought up earlier uh, around creative constraints or a concept of creative constraints. And seeing how that plays out in the, in the phenomenon that you just described of, oh, we, you know, you, students got an idea, they're excited to make the idea. And it's a really hard thing. And it's an uncomfortable thing to sort of tell a student, no, don't get excited about something. Don't make it like that. That's the, <laughs> that's, I don't know. I'm sure there are a bunch of educational theories about sure. that phenomenon, <laughs> but it it's terrible. It's, it's a bad thing. You're like, no, that's what you're always hoping for. Like, Oh, you're excited. Oh, you want to do something in, in response to your excitement or, or I don't know, your curiosity, whatever. Uh, great. Go do it. Um, so that, that concept of creative constraints, I think can come back in, in a really useful way. Um, particularly early on when we're thinking about ideas and students getting attached to ideas or I would say getting past, um, you know, getting past like a reasonable phase of acceptance. Like they're already playing out how well this works. It already turns into a business. I mean, even like, yeah. you know, young students already have this entrepreneurial sort of root uh, and like, oh, this, okay, this is going to make me famous. Uh, so any number of motivations, but the, the notion of creative constraints can be really helpful in the, as you were describing of like, okay, we're going to work on this for a week. And then you're going to tell me something, or we're going to work on this for two days. And then you're going to show it to someone else in the room at whatever phase it's in. So you've got like a slightly, we've got time as an external forcing function, super useful for little kids, for big kids, meaning like seasoned adults, uh, any time constraint, the introducing, you know, like a low resolution materiality. So you mm -hmm. mentioned potentially like 
maybe some students are working in digital concepts. They're, they're coming up with apps or they're coming up with sort of VR concepts that I don't know, ultimately might take a technological and, um, well, te technology-based solution and build out. Great. For the moment, um, let's say, yes, we'll do that. What would we make right now uh, to address an aspect or a notion? I think there's always this, um, like a working backwards structure that can help identify and illuminate some constraints that can be helpful early on and avoid potentially um, going too long sort of um, with too much intensity without getting outside of yourself when you're looking at your work, when you're, when you're deep in it, like, Oh gosh, I wish I would have paid attention to that a week ago before. I don't know. I painted everything or it's like, like woodworking, like, you know, you've, you've, I don't know, gone to great length to build out all this cabinetry. And you're like, then you, I don't know, paint it black. And you're like, Oh, I wish I would have asked a week ago if what color this should have been. Cause now I got to sand everything. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a constraints that help you continue to be sort of additive as opposed to having to like work, um, subtractively, it's harder to let go of things than it is to sort of add on more. Uh, I think probably painting works out well there. It's, it's yeah. easier to add paint than it is to subtract. Yes. Generally. Um, but yeah, I think that, that, uh, the role of constraints and transitions show up or can be super strong classroom teachers, particularly elementary school are so good at, um, trying things out in really quick cycles, seeing what works. They have such accountability on a daily basis and proximity to their students. They're just, you know, with the students as those students are experiencing things and experimenting with things. Um, but the establishing some, some constraints seems like a, a, um, a good starting point for sure. And actually there's something else that you, that you brought up about the, like letting it marinate. Wow. That as a, like a facilitator, if, if a, a teacher or an educator thought of them themselves as a, a facilitator, it is a really hard thing to sit with silence in a room and watch someone think. Oh yeah. It, it is, it is like, Oh, it, it's so, it seems inefficient. It's uncomfortable because it's quiet and you're like, well, if there's noise and action, that means something productive is happening. But if, you know, students are sitting there kind of, huh, just looking or I don't know, seemingly mindlessly drawing something, it can feel uh, weird. And, and as a result, you can squish that marinating phase or like you can just like squelch any sort of like intellectual development or, or conceptual, I guess, curiosity that's happening, but isn't yet verbalized or isn't yet visualized because the, you know, people are still thinking. It just, it's just a hard thing to do to, to leave that silence there for a second. Um, yeah. And I think it's also really hard. And I don't know if you, you feel this too, when you're running your workshops or your courses, or maybe even as a designer, but I know as like working with edu being formerly in my own classroom and now I support educators and get, I have a, an awesome job where I get to like work with educators from time to time, like I'm doing with this current project we're doing with, with NASA and it's really hard not to tell them what you're thinking mm -hmm. um like you want to so bad be like 
have you thought about this or you should do this or and as opposed to i know that's where where i'm at with with, with an educator that I, I just is is phenomenal we've got to this point where now it's like we catch each other going don't do it like don't tell them like how do we keep coming back with questions like we can give guidance on let me help you learn how to think but i don't want to tell you what to think because once we start to do that then it becomes Mm. my the teacher's project or whoever you know not your project you're passionate with you just haven't been able to maybe quite get it to where you want it but it's still yours and there i always think there's like this weird it's it's really kind of uh walking on on thin ice of you don't want them to sit to be completely exasperated and feeling defeated and, and failure but at the same time you don't want to misinterpret where you think they're heading and they end up going and trying to create, especially with younger kids, create something because they want to impress you versus this is what I want to make. And here are my justifications for it, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't, you know, as you're working with, with design students and things like that, obviously they're uh, a little more higher level than maybe where, where, where I spend my time in terms of like age and, and development. Like what do you see in, in that kind of space with that? It really become, becomes a, it can be challenging as a facilitator to kind of stand back. Like you said, it, it is uncomfortable um, where you just want to like, want to go to the rescue. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, there's a, I mean, something even I'm constantly prototyping classes and how I share information, how I sequence projects uh, and how do I, how I align those with, with my own objectives for the work or for the course or the experience, as opposed to maybe what the students um experiences are or expectations are uh meaning i'm very often not that interested in well it depends on the course but <laughs> I'm, sure. I'm not that interested usually on like at the end of 10 weeks or 15 weeks or semester or quarter or whatever that you are going to have uh a product or a concept that's ready to go you've like sort of vetted manufacturers you've got this whole thing you know like lined up you've got distribution channels all squared away like those are things, there are certainly courses in which that happens, which are amazing. They also, you know, spend a fair bit of time on um, those details. Those are, every one of those little items is itself uh, a universe of understanding or requires a universe of understanding. Yeah. Um, so I did, there's a, um, it's a long sort of meandering way to get back to. Um, I'm often balancing maybe two things. One is, uh, introducing accountable check-ins where the work being shared um, is specific, but at a low barrier. And, and I think that's in service of prototyping, meaning it's like as it, it represents the lowest resolution necessary to achieve what you're hoping at that moment. And what I mean by that is like, a weekly, bi-weekly, end of the month, if we're talking about sort of like a semester long sort of project, but a check-in on show me something and tell me what you've been learning about this or what is the state of your thinking and your arc right now, which is different than give a presentation. So if you give a presentation, this, this like teaching to the test concept or giving a presentation yeah. and a presentation looks like this, and this is how we, we tell stories effectively with slides or whatever. And again, very valuable, but you can then sort of inadvertently put too much attention and too much and require too much resolution for 
something that's casual and is meant to be like, Hey, I I just want to know where you're at, but I want you to know that you are intentionally sharing where you are right now. It's not arbitrary. It is, it is part of the expectation here of you, you're checking in, you are showing me something and I'm not concerned right now with what you've made necessarily. I, I ultimately would be, but I'm curious what you're learning and what you want to know. What's, what's next. So again, some people show up with highly, I'm thinking about a furniture class, for example, like some people show up with just great visual stuff that, that if, if, if there was no one around, no one's standing around, you're like, Oh, that, that wins. So to speak, like, yeah, Yeah, Oh, that one's done. Okay, great. And then next to it is, is basically like a a pile of burnt cardboard kind of thing. You're like, (laughs) what is that? You know? Uh, but again, that's a, that's a, like setting the expectation and the designing the experience of articulating your work. And I, I think the, back to the experience, that's something that shows up too in, in the concept of prototyping is you are an experienced designer, not just a concept designer, right? So you are designing the way in which someone is, is engaging your question, which it often isn't like a product. It's, it's kind of like uh, I don't know, like designing the treasure map and the treasure at the same time. And you're like, well, how is someone going to dive into this experience or how is someone going to explore or what is potentially a, like a non-linear way to get to something I don't know yet? Um, so again, another long and winding treasure map there, but uh, I think there's a um, a value in um, designing communication moments that is consistent with prototyping. Like I'm going to ask you a, for sort of a, a low resolution share out, but I'm going to ask it of you quickly and early. And we're only going to spend a little bit of time on it. It's not going to be a big deal, so to speak. It's intentional, but it's not, it's, it's like less than a dress rehearsal, so to speak. Um, the other thing that, that really strikes me about the, Still stuck on the marinating. No, great. Um, I love I, it. Marinating on the marinating. Marinate, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, wow. I mean, there's so much. There's such a tendency. Of, I'll just speak for my own. I, yeah. I, 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 I suspect others might resonate with this, but there's such a tendency to cram as much as you can into an amount of time, whether that's uh, like a you know, hourly sort of duration or whether that's, you know, if you're thinking about weeks and months of an experience with students or with anything really seeing so like, Oh, I've got this much time. I have to jam in as much as I can because that will represent me being, I don't know, diligent. And that will say like, Oh, there's so much value to be had here. You must have all of this information. Uh, whereas, wow, you seldom ever plan uh, I don't know, non-time. So like reflection time or discussion, like those reflection and discussion, everybody knows those words. They are so frequently like, uh, like a parsley garnish on the side of a dish. And you're like, oh yeah, by the way, we'll talk about that. We'll, we'll give a couple minutes at the end of this thing. No, that is the thing. Yes. Which is not to say that parsley should be any sort of main course, (laughs) Uh, but, but, But that's the thing. And, and, and it's a, it is, and for any number of reasons, it can feel and look terrible to say, oh, if I have an hour long class, I'm going to, I'm going to plan 30 minutes of content. And I'm actually, it doesn't have to be like 30 content, 30, 
you know, yeah. blank, but I'm actually going to say like, oh, I'm going to expect, I don't know, I'm going to do three things and at the, and we're going to give 10 minutes of actual conversation or, or I'm going to ask everyone to ask one of their, you know, peers a question. And, and then we're going to say like, Hey, what did you learn from your peer? Um, I, I would almost call it like transitions, but, uh, it is uncomfortable to design into your, I guess, like pedagogical experiences, reflective moments as a, as a, like a, a an offering. It, it mm. almost seems subtractive again, yeah. like back to, if I was a product designer and I was not delivering a product, you're a teacher and you're offering up quiet time. That doesn't sound right. Shouldn't you be teaching something? And you're like, well, yeah, I am. And it, <laughs> and it is, it is critical that this pairs with an experience they just had, because if they don't reflect on that experience, it won't stick. And they won't sort of acknowledge, oh, that's something I've got to do again and again and again and again and again. I think those those transition moments are just, whew. Yeah. It's kind of like designing storage in a house or a building, which is another thing, by the way, of, of like what, that. Every, <laughs> like, I'm talking, this was a, 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 a tour, it was an intentional tour I was taking with um, a colleague of mine, Scott Dorley, who's a creative director at the D School. A number of years ago, we were doing a like a space design project, and so we went and we're looking at kind of analogous examples, um, or, or just how are other industries doing this it, uh, to try to learn different techniques and maybe see are there sort of behaviors that we could that we could borrow and learn kind of from different industries. And we went and visited a um, the public broadcasting um, production studio in uh, San Francisco. And so we were going around backstage and we weren't just wandering, but we were there, you know, with a host, uh, we knew, and we were walking the floor and we saw sort of the, you know, the, the news broadcasting sort of area and a bunch of sound stages and, and, and sets and stuff. And it was, it was great. We saw lots of cool techniques. Um, and then there was a, like a moment where I don't quite know how we got onto this, but we, we started talking about storage and this was a, at least a two-story building, but for the most part, it's, it was one kind of main production floor beneath it is the exact same square footage, which is completely empty except for storage. Hmm. And the, our host was describing that they basically over the course of a year, build out all their sets and take everything and sort of just like shove it downstairs and fill it up until basically it's, it's just it's too full. And then they just need to like purge that that whole bottom floor but it struck me as like wow a an interesting behavior but then just yeah. <laughs> like numerically and spatially you're like 50 percent of your kind of operational platform yeah. is storage and and it, it at any given time particularly early in the year you would look at it and be like wow this is totally underutilized and and what a waste couldn't something else be going on here? And you're like, well, actually something really is going on there. That's, that's part of the, like the magic of making mm. this like upper floor work. Yeah. I think that, that goes back to this notion of like leaving space deliberately in a, in a, in a learning lesson or a learning sequence and saying like this thing where they're not making something right now, but they're talking about, and they're thinking about what they just learned. We got to leave that unprogrammed. I mean, it, it's programmed, but it's unprogrammed 
uh, in a way, you know, so that yeah. they can learn what they just experienced. Yeah. I mean, you've got to intentionally build in the time for that to happen. I, I'm, I'm working in, in particular quite a bit. And it's a, it's a sixth grade classroom at the time of this, this recording. And it's like talking to the kids, you know, like the, the, the old age adage, right? Like where do you get most of your ideas? It's like when you're in the shower or walking your dog, it's that moment of quiet. It's that moment of this, that eureka moment doesn't mean it's going to magically happen when we've given you this this chunk of time to process and private reasoning time and in a small group and maybe with the class, but being deliberate to allow the conditions to be there for that to happen. And one of the things that that is your is your talking, it made me think that we did that I need to actually make a note to to go back to is we did a thing called circle of support where we would have everybody come together in the class and stand in the circle. Um, and then we learned from actually the Iowa women's basketball program. They do this and it practices your feet have to touch to truly create this circle because some of this to be vulnerable and to bring a prototype out to the world, right? We're asking you to be brave. We're asking you to share this thing that may or may not work. People may or may not approve or like it. Um, you know, so you got to have the the proper environment for people to go, I'm going to put this out there and, and just, and see what happens. Um, but in there, the circle of support, one of the things we do is we we have people go around. It's not forced. We don't make it go around in a circle. And we acknowledge like the awesome things that we solved, noticed, or wondered, or new ahas, or learning. And at first, it's always kind of surface level. But then you get into it. It's like, man, Scott, I really appreciate how you came over today. We were really struggling with uh, the, this, this cardboard structure. And you came over, and you're so good at you know building a trust for the bridge or whatever it might be. But what that does is one, it makes you feel good. It, it acknowledges the receiving of gifts of this cross platform, even though we're all doing our own thing. We, we're trying to create this ecosystem where, yeah, I've got my stuff I got going on, but it doesn't mean I don't have space for you. But more importantly, then it opens up this dialogue of, wow, I didn't even think about using cardboard mm -hmm. in that way. Or man, I didn't even think about building a, a, a robot. Or I didn't even think about because you start to hear and these ideas cross pollinate and we always say like you never know when you might need something there's no bad idea like there's no bad question like write it down what seems goofy now could be that magical ingredient that makes it taste you know really amazing in a, in a month's time and so as you're talking i'm just like man i need i, I need i'm making a mental note and i'm doing verbal vomit here reflecting out loud like <laughs> Just, you know, something, again, so simple. We built that time in and yes, we should have been maybe given, we were always like, do we give them more time to, to work? Do we give them more time to do this? And man, it just really kind of manifested itself into this really safe space, if nothing else, just to be even brave to go out and share ideas because mm -hmm. it just, just became daily practice, you know? And so that's, I, I appreciate you sharing because it made me kind of have my own aha moment there. I'm struck by the some of the details they just shared, particularly the the women's basketball team gathering and the the notion of their feet touching as part of the the experience that they're having. Yeah, um, that 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 stands out to me. There was a um, well, he worked full time at the. There's a guy named uh, Julian Garodsky who's a psychologist, and he used to work at the Stanford D School um, on a daily basis, and now sort of. Um, consults with courses. Uh, he, uh, he and his work were just so, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. it was paramount, but in this, this, um, like quiet and, uh, 
like comprehensive way that was that just it just seeped into the ways that everyone worked and really became inseparable and and one a couple a couple specific aspects were he really emphasized um transitions or changes uh both spatially and sort of corporeally or like changing your posture when you're changing the activity mm. so this, i think this is something i've just sort of borrowed and and seen and and implemented in designing spaces and then designing uh, like curriculum and sequences but um for example if we're in a spot and we're just generating a bunch of ideas maybe we'll be standing or or just in some kind of different posture or some kind of different spatial configuration and if we have the opportunity maybe a different place physically then we would be if we were deciding on an idea so if we're if we're like changing from this headspace of being generative to evaluative we might then change our our posture our body some dynamic of the space as an environmental cue that oh we're going to act differently uh based on what we're about to do or in service of what we're about to do so the you know the women's basketball team standing in a circle with their feet touching is not their their mo you know they're not out there playing and and in fact everybody's on the court at the same time conceivably which right. is not you know plausible in a, a game yeah. um or how they normally uh, operate. So you've got, there's just like these cues. And I think that's something that, um, gosh, can stand out. This is more about space design, but it can yeah, stand no, out great. like so significantly and be kind of a, like a sleeper tool for people who don't feel that, or maybe don't actually have the opportunity to like modulate to a different space. Like classroom teachers were like, I have agency over this space, but we can't leave this room or, um, we have to be in here, you know, I don't know, eight hours a day or how, however long and I'm like, okay, well, they go to great lengths to, to make it feel inviting and welcoming and have everyone represented visually and spatially in the room. Like this is your place. Um, which is overall amazing. It's their home. Uh, but at times you do different things. And, and so there can be this like, oh, what, yeah, what if we changed everybody's posture? What if we have everybody stand up versus sitting down or in a circle, as you, you know, mentioned as this sort of circle of sharing, um, what's some kind of different cue to signal like, oh, we're about to do something, you know, we're about to do something different. I think then that's something that gets lost on. I mean, it's almost a cliche it's uh in in a like a the corporate sort of boardroom where you're like give me great ideas everybody you know <laughs> sitting around the like the big conference table and like literally the thing that happened right before that was like you're fired right these like these weird oscillations in in like mental modes and things you're like wait oh i'm supposed to be vulnerable and and share yeah. ideas and oh in the next sentence i'm i'm gonna be like, you know, reprimanded for them. That's, right. that's, that's a, that's a weird trap. That is. Um, yeah. So anyway, there's, there's something about the, the, um, well, there's something in service of acknowledging like what you want to get out of an activity or what you're inviting from students in terms of their participation and their commitment that can certainly be signaled by naming the phase. Like we're in prototyping phase. We're not in, I don't know, uh, implementation or sure. we're, we're in, new ideas week versus um, best ideas week or something like that. So there's this like 
mental phasing, but then also there's some, certainly there's cues, um, curriculum cues and then physical sort of spatial cues that can, I think, help reinforce the kind of low resolution or the, barring your term earlier, the creative constraints uh, that help sort of support what you're trying to do. Yeah, no, I love that. And I have a huge fascination with like, just like learning space and just space design in general. And it becomes another kind of rabbit rabbit hole that I, I tend to find myself swirling in and all the free time that, you know, we all have sitting around doing nothing. Right. But I, I love it. And that's what I think, like, you know, having these where we can't necessarily like rebuild the walls and, 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 you know, redesign this or build a new school or a new classroom, you know, just like you said, how do we start to create these different spaces, you know, within the the confines that we have. And as you keep talking about like this, this low resolution concept of, of prototyping, one of the things I took from your book that, that, that idea of that low resolution and, how do I, especially when I'm working with 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 kids in the K-12, where they get they can get so caught up in the really like finer details of a part of the learning that isn't essential at that time. But mm-hmm. not to say that it's not, but not to tell them like that's not important. So one of the things that I'm 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 excited to try, or actually we're we're I'm gonna try it here this week, um, is they're going They've been doing their quote unquote research and getting their sketches. And we're going to do our first, I'm calling it a mini prototype. And one thing we've been, we've done some test builds with like Lego where we build something, get really excited. And then at the end of like the, we did like a five day cycle and then they had to tear it down. They were not happy. And now they're mm-hmm. kind of getting used to this, like never being finished, but we're going to give them uh, just one single material to build out their idea. And we're going to do, I think we're going to end up going with pipe cleaner, just cost effective. And if they can go, they can bend it and do whatever. The idea being that they don't get so attached to the thing uh, because it'll be cool, but it's not going to be like something that you want to go, you know, present to to NASA and be like, look how awesome this is. Uh, but the idea for them, what you said earlier, which is so, so vital, uh, I think for a lot of educators that maybe in my lane that are trying to give them, give themselves their own grace to allow this stuff to happen in the classroom is the goal of that, it's not glorified research. If you were to walk by, it'd be like, oh, they're just playing. But really, it's for them as they're working through this pipe cleaner, not because I want them to be pipe cleaner sculpture experts, yeah. but I want them to figure out, man, I really don't know enough about this to even know how to build it. Ding, ding, ding. That's our next phase for our next reiteration. We get into like some better supplies or, man, this actually doesn't work. Ding, ding, ding. And yes, we might have constraints and materials, but guess what? everyone has constraints. We, you're not always going to be stuck with pipe cleaner, but it's like this kind of like this mid check of, yes, you think, you know, all the things, but maybe now doing it tangibly, but not getting so caught up. We want it to look perfect because we think it's our answer. We think our solution is perfect. Therefore the first build has to be perfect too. Um, and you kind of get your, your, your hopes up too soon. So this is designed to be kind of quick and messy and sloppy by design to go back and go, Ooh, Maybe we actually don't know as much of what we think we did. And we keep kind of, you know, building that out to get to those kind of kind of final phase. And so it's as you were talking, I'm like, that's now that from your book, that's something that that I'm I'm excited to try to see how it goes that I haven't done before. Hopefully that it expedites to a better we move faster into the journey at the right pace to to having this like better discover discovery of ourselves i could care mm-hmm. what the end product looks like and, and our goal is i mean yes we want to look nice but that's not it's about the learning journey you know but how do we get them moving forward in their ahas and i think i'm excited to see how this this uh, makes that happen that's super cool i love i love the idea 
and the practice of, um, like a single material challenge as a, like a prototyping or design sprint where you've got sort of like iron chef in the way of like, well, here's yeah. the mystery ingredient, but, but it's, it's, um, it can show up. I say it like to, to, to suggest that it's arbitrary is like a disservice, I think to the, you know, like the, which is not what you're, I'm not right. suggesting. No, 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 that, no, I got you. There's something about like, it can read as an arbitrary selection or arbitrary activity. Um, oh, we just gave them bubble wrap and that was it. There's a thing that can happen there, particularly if you have another instance of, we're going to have another bubble wrap challenge next project or, right. or it's, we're in that phase uh, where students, this is an equity thing too, but um, they can get accustomed to seeing materials around them as reliable resources if they approach them that way. Yeah. Well, often, and for again, any number of reasons, um, classroom teachers are often sort of saddled with having to, you know, turn trash into primary resources and, yeah, and yeah. treasure, so to speak. But there is something about like borrowing from a, um, like a professional kitchen that I, I always pronounce this incorrectly, but the mise en place where like everything is sort of prepared. Yeah. We're like, okay, we are going to be using old pizza cardboard boxes, but what we're going to do is we're going to like cut those up and they're going to be like squares or they're going to be clean from the start. And we're going to have them over there. And they're always going to be like, every time you walk around campus and you see some cardboard boxes, you're going to think, okay, like let's go break those down basically and turn them into squares or shapes or whatever that we will actively want to engage and no longer see as just like trash. Yeah. There is even like a phase of this, which is, is weird too, where, where a student, you might encourage a student to say, don't use precious materials, this, particularly like college and, and, and graduate students who, who maybe have more um, like <laughs> automobile agency, like right, oh, we, can go, right. we can go buy something or we can go behind Home Depot and dumpster dive or whatever. Um, there's still that. They still have to do that. And and it's it's not a one to one to say like well you don't have to buy the best materials oh but by the way you do have to become very resourceful and now go out like at dusk and you know grab <laughs> grab pallets and stuff and you're like which is cool i mean there there is there is value and and it's it's great that resourcefulness yeah. is great but it also is a disservice in saying like every time i need to be creative i also have to be sort of like predator human and knowing what mm. trash is behind or in an alleyway. And you're like, no, I'm just going to routinely say like, I'm always going to have this kit of parts, kit of basic stuff that is, is going to allow me to, when the moment is posed, manifest an idea, make something. Someone just asked me to like visualize and conceptualize an idea. Awesome. I've got the pipe cleaners. Yeah. They're in a box. Cool. I've got, I don't know. 70 different shapes and, and weird, you know, not perfect, like from the store pieces of cardboard, but they're, I can cut them, they're angles. I don't have to like process them in the moment or bubble wrap or envelopes or, you know, what have you. So those, I just, I, I so deeply resonate with that, that concept that you've, you've introduced there of this, like, we're going to focus on one material and then reinforcing that with a, of course, you're not going to, 
like build a rocket ship out of popsicle sticks. Of course right. you're not. Right. Let's not let's not a spend long enough that we somehow like get so attached or our popsicle stick rocket ships become beloved. Yes, right. Uh, right. That's not the expectation. The expectation is you quickly manifesting work, getting it out of your head so that others can engage it. Could be popsicle sticks, could be and you know, there's strategic <laughs> reasons yeah. to pick any number of those. Like pipe cleaner is great. It bends. You can make it into a hinge or a joint. It, it's long. You could kind of make it spatial or a net. Anyway, it can become volumetric and yes, like yes, functional sir. at the same time. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's uh, something that so fits with a, an iterative and escalating sort of commitment to resources in service of your discovery, in service of your learning. I'm also struck by there's this show... I guess I, I guess it went off the air and I don't know, maybe like 2015, but it was that HBO series uh, from here to the moon. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't any, you know, early NASA mission stuff is just dripping with great examples of prototypes, but even in this, in this, um, uh, idealization, you know, this, uh, um, sort of Hollywoodization of the, uh, sequence, there's a fantastic scene, um, where the, you know, the, super typical or like stereotyped kind of NASA engineers, the button up shirts and the, you know, the glasses and the pocket protectors and stuff. Um, they're trying to get the like mission commander. They're trying to convince mission commander to basically like take the seats out of the module because it will save weight and change this aspect ratio. And, and it is exactly the moment of you're telling someone something you're not showing them. You are mm. not creating an experience to help them learn and to help you learn from what they understand. And so it, it like quickly shifts into this, like, okay, let's quickly build out, you know, a, a lunar module out of cardboard with this configuration at scale, like, so like human scale, you know, so yeah, you can yeah. step into it. Um, and yeah, it takes time and takes commitment and, and you can see it again, fictionalization, but it is exactly the thing the, the behavior, the materiality, the timing constraints, it works one-to-one -one from that movie example, what was a TV show, that TV show example to a student experience. When students make things volumetrically, that's one thing. When they make things volumetrically at scale, like if, if a human scale thing, whether that's a, like a, you know, a point of purchase sort of experience, like you know, I'm going to a restaurant, I'm standing in line. And so I'll, I'll sort of mock that up with masking tape and cardboard boxes. But the second you can like step into it and it becomes immersive and not just projection or, or pretend still pretend, but not just, um, isn't relying entirely on projection or imagination. Amazing things happen. You yeah. just, and, and it is note that is note. I mean, it's, it is a slight extension of, you know, making a, pipe cleaner thing on your desk, but it's not that big. It's, it's not that big a leap. It's right. just a, maybe a different material, a little bit more time. They're right there though. They're just, they're just right there from going from like, Oh, this is a pretty concept to like, Whoa, this is actually how this experience might go. Or, <laughs> or, or like, let's play this out. It's, it's amazing. It's just yeah. amazing. Well, that's where I think, yeah, as you, as you say that, yeah, well, what you do is you're, you're, you're moving towards creating an experience, not just 
an object. And I should say just an object because it's incredible anytime we make anything. I mean, I've seen it time and time again when someone figures out how to turn a little LED light on and figure out what a circuit is for the first time, they act like they won the Powerball because there's something about when <laughs> something works that we have done, whether, you know, that first where it's following instructions. And from that, it just goes, okay, well, well, now I want to go do five lights. Can I do five lights? I don't know. Can you? Let's go. Let's try. And so like you said, yeah, when you create this, it, there's an immersion. There's something that comes to it. And that, you know, and that's the whole goal of even like this pipe cleaner thing is just to get them to go, well, what if? What if I, what if we, what if we combine? Like, and that's the exciting piece. And it's also the nerve wracking piece too, because you don't know where they're going to take it, but that's, that's learning. And that's, that's the excitement of, of man, just get out of their way. Um, provide a little bit of those supports when they need it, give them the, help them on the how to's, but man, what, this, where their ideas go, you know, is, is that's the exciting part for anything that we do, whether we're facilitating or, or, or definitely doing it our, ourselves. And so it's just so, it's, oh, it's just so great. I'm over here scribbling down notes and I just, has just been phenomenal. I want to be respectful of your time. Cause I know we're already closing in here on, oh. on an hour and I mean, I could talk to you uh, geez for you know the rest of the day but i'm sure you've got other things to do but i do want to wrap up and just be 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 respectful of your time and also just respectful of your work um outside of telling everybody and their mother to to read your book i know <laughs> i was telling you through email we've got like a little mini book club of our own we've got people reading it right now which has been fun but there's a lot to the work there's a lot to the things that you're doing but as we as we come to a close is there anything that you want to share that we didn't get to um in our conversation today that for the listener um you know maybe coming across you and your work for the first time you really want to make sure that that they hear from you wow what a cool that's a cool question thanks for thanks for posing it also you know, yeah thanks of course for the the time and opportunity what a what a treat um i do think there's something that that um uh, folks can, I don't know, reinforce for themselves. Maybe I'll put it that way. Um, the book, you know, it really does focus on questions. And I, 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 yeah. I do think there is a, it is worth considering when you're making a statement and you're trying to convince someone of something versus when you're actually showing something to someone as a way to ask a question. You do have it in your head, like, oh, I'm seeking validation, or I hope they like this. What am I looking for that's going to tell me they like it? Mm. Um, so there is a question there. I do think um, it is worth kind of almost like writing it on your hand or just putting it, you know, a note and taping it to your leg on sort of blue tape, like <laughs> make it a question. Um, I think that the almost uncomfortably so like starting with i'm only going to be focusing on questions for whatever this experience is that i'm about to have and about to initiate um even trying that as explicitly so for the next time you're going to share an idea with a colleague or a friend or student or whomever walk into that or enter that experience i should say and and focus on i'm going to make it a task for myself to just focus on questions right now. I'm not, my expectation is not to have a solution or um, a resolved conclusion at the end of this. I'm going to say I have a bunch of now raw ingredients based on what I'm asking, what my questions are. And I'm going to make sense of that when I'm done, so to speak. I don't have to be making sense of it in exact real time and figure the whole thing out. 
that's not always, you know, obviously normal work doesn't always work out that way, but the, the more comfortable you are seeing a moment and saying, Oh, wow, I'm seeing something right now. I'm not familiar with, I don't want to squelch this. I've got to leave space for what I don't know to emerge right now. And the more that I poke it or the, the more that I try to like convince myself what this is, like the less likely I am to understand what, what is actually in front of me. So mm. that was a long way to say, I, I really do think the, the focusing on the question, um, as simple as that sounds is a, is a big deal paired with, <laughs> this is actually what I wanted to suggest. Um, <laughs> gosh, there's, there's only value to be gained by engaging other people. Yeah. Prototyping. Certainly there are instances when you're prototyping for yourself and by making something, um, cabinet makers or I don't know, I'm really into guitar luthery. Like they'll make jigs and things and say like, Oh, by making that thing for myself, I just figured out it can't be made that way, or I need to change something. So great. You are your own audience. Awesome. Yeah. There is value in prototyping for yourself, but it is immeasurably important to see your work as something that other people are going to engage. And sometimes you are kind of starting something that's really going to be their work. Um, and, and it's not about you so much. So getting more comfortable with showing your work to other people, asking other people to participate in your work, asking other people for their opinion and input, whether that's an answer or not, people, you know, will offer up like, well, here's what you should do. I'm like, that's <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> Tell me why, why should I do it that way? You know, it's flipping this sort of like, um, this is really what you should be doing. Kind of someone offering a solution that can feel, um, I don't know, antagonizing. And as uh, back to the, like, why don't people ask other people for their opinion more often? Very frequently people come at them with a solution and you just, A, you're not looking for that solution. You're not personally ready to hear it. If you flip that, it's going back to the question, like, great, thanks for that suggestion of why I should do it that way. Why do you think I should do it that way? Like if that was the answer, what would I achieve by that? Or what, why would that be important? You know, help me out with that. So there's this Engaging other people and thinking of that engagement as a question um, is not always obvious. It's not always comfortable, but it is, I don't know, my experience, 99.9% .9 of the time, like what you need to do <laughs> and, and productive. Uh, and you know, it, it pays off. It's not just a sort of a fool's errand. It, it, it pays off for your work and hopefully for theirs too. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it's essential going back to your idea of like the, the treasure, building the, building the treasure and the, the treasure mm -hmm. map and the, and the path at the same time. Those questions are is what, what what progresses you on that journey to inevitably at the end. We never know when it's final, and we never know. You know, I mean, sometimes we have deadlines where there is yes, it has to be done. But sometimes it's just that that magic moment where the path does come to the closure, where the where, where the treasure is. And you know, I think asking those questions just keeps moving us forward in that work. And so I think that's that's a wonderful insight to uh, wrap up this conversation on. Scott, this has been phenomenal. I love it. So thought-provoking. I know I'm already excited to go back and, and listen to it again for the editing and 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 really, you know, go back to uh, the word we were all focused on earlier, marinate, you know, a lot of the things that you said. You said <laughs> lots of wonderful things that I think it gives us all a lot of things to pause and, and think through and, uh, you know, figure out 
our next steps in our own journey, whether we are a designer or an educator or a student or whoever we are and, and whatever we're doing. Um, lots of uh, just terrific insights and, and things to uh, think about and, and process. And so you've got the book. This is a prototype. Outside of the book, we'll get the links and all that stuff in the show notes. But Scott, if people want to follow you, learn more about your work and just kind of see more of what you've got going on, um, where can they go? And, and I'll put all this in the show notes. But for those listening and, and you know, I always say they're at a red light and want to start following and learn from you right away. You know, where's the best place to go? Sure. Well, thanks. Um, uh, certainly, I could be found on uh, LinkedIn. I have a newsletter there. Um regarding prototyping. And then I can be, you know, um, contacted there as well. I have a blog, uh, on medium, um, focused on design and, and prototyping. Um, I know we actually talked about space quite a bit. So, uh, just as a, a note, um, the previous book I wrote called make space, uh, just, um, had its kind of 10th anniversary, which is super exciting. Right um, there. I got it right there. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, I, topically that certainly that you know that thematically just shows up all the time and yeah. and certainly connects to you know a lot of the stuff in uh this new book this is a prototype so yeah i love it well thank you so much for your time this has been absolutely phenomenal and uh it's been such an honor to be able to spend this uh this time with you getting to push my own growth edges and uh learn from one of the best so so thank you so much thanks aaron i really appreciate it you're welcome At six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation, living on that edge of chaos, going insane, listening to coffee chugs like caffeine for the brain. One of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born, here to show the world that there's more here than corn. <laughs>